breaking up, it's hard. And it hurts. Oh my God, it hurts. Not in a good way, like you discover muscles you didn't know you had after leg day, or your BFF tells you the truth about how long that piece of kale has actually been stuck in your teeth. Nope, breaking up hurts, period. Now I like to think I am the type of person who owns this idea that you should not mess with anyone who does burpees for fun. And yes, I actually do do that sometimes. But in some areas of my life, yeah, I am this empowered burpee doing badass. When I get my heart broken, all the empowerment juice flows out of me like a blender without a lid. So I wanted to do an episode on heartbreak and fitness and mental wellness. And I am specifically talking about romantic partner love and loss, but there will be bits and pieces you can glean that will apply to any kind of grief. Because it is, at its core, grief, but not just grief. Did you know that when scientists scan the brains of humans who have broken up with someone they love, they see all the same withdrawal centers lighting up as someone who's quitting a heroin addiction? That's some pretty hardcore mental pain. And I don't know about you, but I don't bounce back easily from breakups. My default when I'm in a relationship tends towards an, towards an anxious attachment style. And when I'm single, I think I veer more towards an avoidant attachment style. And yeah, if that didn't make sense, that's okay. I'm going to get into the counselor attachment style stuff and healing childhood ruptures. I'm going to do all that later. But first, I thought it would be fun to jump into... Just fun stuff that's firmly rooted in my opinions rather than hardcore facts. And by the way, if you don't know who I am and whose opinions you're about to be listening to, I'm Kate. I'm the creator of the Kick-Ass Life Project. I'm a trauma-informed fitness trainer, a registered professional counselor, and a proud Canadian participant of OMG Yes. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow share, or maybe even write a review on Apple Podcasts. And if, if you're brand new to the, the podcast, welcome. And sure, that may sound like a big ask, but I want to make it a little bit more enticing. I want to encourage people to leave some reviews because it really makes a huge difference in podcast world as to which podcasts get noticed by people. And I've been trying to figure out a way to encourage people, entice people to leave reviews because I get, even if you're a regular listener, it, asking you to take some time out of your day and go through the little rabbit hole links to find how you leave a review and then actually formulate some words to leave the review. It might, I mean, in some ways, sure, it sounds like a simple thing, but I want to fully acknowledge that that takes time out of your day. And if you go ahead and do that, Thank you so much. If you do, send me a screenshot of your review and I want to send you something. Now, I've been trying to figure this out for a while and I think I've landed on exclusive access to my Sassy Cards course. Now, if you have not heard of my Sassy Cards, I have 10 of them. They're actual little cards, like gift card type material, but they're square and they have 10 of my favorite empowerment quotes on them. Things like, once upon a time, a wise woman once said, fuck this shit and lived happily ever after. Or if you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. So I have these actual little cards that I send people, but I also have a course 
that comes with them or goes with them. So let's do this. Leave a review, send me the screenshot, and you will get exclusive access to the Sassy Card course. Totally fun. You can send the screenshot to kate at sassysexystrong.com or through my socials at kickasslifeproject on Facebook or Instagram. Okay, on with the show. You're not here to listen to me talk about sassy card courses and reviews. You're here to talk about breaking up, staying sane, and fitness. This is not an episode on whether or not you should have broken up because, I mean, flat out, some people are worth cardioing away from as fast as possible. This is not an episode on how to get them back. I am a firm believer in focusing on yourself after a breakup. Like, what do you need? Focusing on you is actually the best option whether your goal is to move on or to get back together. So let's look at some possible ways you might be feeling. Does this sound like you? You sob, ugly, heavy, chest-puking, gut-wrenching, gulping, snot-filled air and choke on your own tears while curled up on the kitchen floor with a bucket of ice cream because you were actually fine until you decided to eat something. And even though you were feeling nauseous, you kind of thought, well, I should try and put some food in myself. And you went to the fridge and there on the fridge, you saw a little note with a little XO at the bottom that they had left stuck to the fridge months ago and you've forgotten to take it down. And that set off the, the crying, the sitting on the floor, the ice cream, the everything. If that sounds like you, no judgment, by the way, zero judgment. Here's the thing, you can try. Do all of the above that I just said, the sobbing, the curled up on the floor. The horror is going to happen. Let the low moments happen. But alongside, promise me to try these three things. Number one, keep convenient, nutrient-dense foods in the house alongside the ice cream and the Doritos. Maybe some pre-bagged or, yeah, pre-bagged, pre-made salad things, some pre-cooked chicken, apples, beef jerky, whatever works. Yes, you might have to go to the store with puffy eyes and haven't showered yet hair, but maybe there's online shopping. Or maybe you just go to the store like that. And I'm not saying this because I want you to lose weight or go on a diet. If you have listened to any of my other episodes, you will know that is not me. But when you can get some physically satisfying nutrients into your body, it will increase your chances of mental, emotional recovery in a faster time frame. Your, this emotional energy is taking physical energy. And as much as possible, yeah, I'm going to encourage you to replenish what your body physically needs to deal with this. Now, important note, regardless of anything you do or don't do, you're going to recover. But this is about recovering deeply. That said, <laughs> another little caveat, narcissistic abuse has a telltale residue that it leaves behind where you don't seem to get better with time. You feel like you're getting worse. And if you suspect this, I highly recommend getting some counseling to help you get through or at the very least Googling narcissistic abuse recovery. Okay, 
So this is not about using fitness or dieting to lose a bunch of weight so that you can get them back or get someone else. It's not about changing your body. It is about helping your body physically recover so that you can emotionally recover. Number two, when you are ready, invite a friend over to help make, help you make some bulk meals so that you can have grab and go to help you stay physically strong meals there and ready for you so that you're not having to daily kind of think about this. Plus, the social support bonding time is priceless. That's actually more what this is about. Whether or not you end up cooking those bulk meals together, not really the point. The point is having that doing something team-like with somebody else, social support bonding. Number three, a 30-second tip that will not fix the deep stuff, but it will treat the surface wound temporarily. And make no mistake, treating those little surface wounds temporarily, those little moments of relief that you get from that, they matter. They help. So when the crying stops and you get up off the floor slowly, stick a pencil in your teeth for 30 seconds. It forces, like just like bite down on it, hold it. It forces your mouth into a smile type state. And this tricks your brain into releasing some feel-good hormones. Okay, so again, this is not, this is not how you long-term fix it, but it gives your brain just that little moment of relief. Okay, now what if you're thinking, yeah, those all sound like great tips, but that's not really me. I'm not really the let it all out type. What about this? Does this sound more like you? You hide from the world, cancel appointments, call in sick to work, tell your friends you're too tired to go out, watch movies that are going to make you cry, pile laundry on the other side of the bed because no one's sleeping there anyway and you can't be bothered to put it away. Avoid going to bed because waiting behind your eyelids is a replay of everything you miss about them. Avoid getting up because you're already exhausted and you've got a whole day of hollowness to fill with distractions that you don't really care about. If that sounds more like you, here's some things to try. Take your time. Nothing you read, watch, or hear will change anything. But that's okay. Time will help. See the caveat before about narcissistic abuse. But give yourself compassion about the fact that it is taking time. And that's okay. Number one for things you can try. Check in with someone at least once daily. If you are lucky enough to have friends that will listen, lean on them. You are a strong person. But just like muscles, they need a rest day. You can take a break from being strong sometimes too. Number two, get outside once a day. Bonus points if you go for a walk. If it's nice outside, maybe try some stretching. But drag yourself out the door for 30 seconds and breathe some fresh air. Number three, when you start to feel better, and you will, You'll set a new 30-second personal best. Now, this is really easy. Just do something you've never done before, and it is instantly a personal best. 
by something you've never done before. I mean, like you could do jumping jacks for 30 seconds while singing the alphabet backwards. How many jumping jacks can you do in 30 seconds while singing the alphabet backwards? If you've never done that before, do it. It is an instant personal best. And that is literally what I mean by trying something new. It can be the same thing, but done slightly differently. Instant personal best. Set yourself up for that little feel-good celebration. Now, it is possible you have a more fired-up style. Like, you are going to make that no good, doesn't deserve you, crazy guy or gal regret the day that you broke up by crafting the best gotta have that ass buns in town and losing every speck of fat with the first magic pill diet that you can find because this shit has to happen fast. Okay, if this is your mindset, I get it. And hell yeah, get healthy but do it right. So yes, I am flat out saying that extreme diets and diet pills are the wrong way to find physical health and emotional wellness. But if you want to get healthy, do it for you. Like I'm this is an I'm talking this in all caps right now. OMG, right now, stop, stop, stop thinking about him or her. Stop doing what you are doing because you care about what they will think of your body. You, you, you. What do you need? Okay, the all caps is off. That was a lot of all caps, but please take those all caps to heart. Think about you. What do you need? Not what do you need so that they will think differently of you. What do you need? Full stop, period. So here's three things you can try. Number one, block your ex. I know, maybe, I mean, if you can, sure, delete. But that might seem too permanent for you right now. So block. Then their face does not show up in your feed and sucker punch your day. You can't torture yourself with their newsfeed. And most importantly, you can't post things with the intention of them seeing it and suddenly realizing how wonderful you are and what a mistake was made. You are kick-ass, by the way. But this is about you, not them. So by blocking, you do yourself a great service by not even having to think about what they might be seeing or what you might see. This is about you. If you post something on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is, you're doing it for you. Number two, use that desire to improve yourself as fuel. Big goals need big emotions. But instead of going out like full out and then crash, list all the things, all the healthy things that you want in your life. And instead of jumping into set yourself up for failure diets or programs, Set realistic goals. Work out how you're going to do these things. Be honest about your obstacles. Make a plan. Like you've got all this energy. Take some time to set yourself up for it. And here's my big tip. Add things to your life. What do you want to do more of instead of focusing on what you should do less of? Right. So instead of I want to eat less ice cream, 
potato chips, whatever your comfort food is, focus on, I want to have more vegetables in my life. I want to have more protein in my life. Whatever it is, focus on the adding in. Instead of, I want to spend less time sitting on the couch, binge watching Netflix, what do I want to have more of? I want to have more time outside going for a walk in nature. Whatever it is you want more of, think about adding that in rather than focusing on what you're trying to take away. Number three, when you feel your motivation dwindling, because it will, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but, but that big adrenaline rush of energy you might be having after the breakup, it is going to fall away. When that happens, spend 30 seconds giving yourself compassion. Write down something about yourself that you don't need to change. Write down something you are grateful for. Write down something you can look forward to. A warm towel out of the dryer. The smell of your favorite food cooking. A snuggle from your pet. So that's three things you can write down that'll help with compassion. Something about yourself you don't need to change. Something you're grateful for. Something you're looking forward to. Okay, so we've looked at some ways to look after yourself in the immediate aftermath of a breakup. And honestly, you, all the things I suggested as things you can try, you can do them regardless of your breakup style. However you tend to feel after a breakup, all of those tips Pick the ones that are going to work for you. Eventually, you might find yourself wanting to understand more about why you have the type of relationships that you tend to have. Have you ever heard of attachment styles? I genuinely ask because although it's everywhere in my world, it's one of these things that I didn't learn until well into my adult adulthood. And I have to assume there are many people out there who would be in the same boat. Attachment style starts in our childhood. Our first attachment is to our caregivers. When that is safe, meaning we get our needs met when we're scared or hurt, someone is there to soothe us, that's getting our needs met, then we develop a secure attachment style. And when we develop a secure attachment style, we tend to know how to set boundaries and we feel capable of self-soothing. Really, I, one of the most ironic things in the world that in order to self-soothe, we need to be taught how to do it by someone else, meaning someone else has to do it for us first and then we can learn to do it for ourselves. So when caregivers are inconsistent with their affection or their responses to our needs, we tend to develop what is called an anxious attachment style. We are fearful of the person we need leaving. So we work hard to keep them close and we feel abandoned when we're separated from them. There's a very strong desire to control them or the situation so that we can feel safe. When caregivers are negligent or emotionally withdrawn, we often develop what's called an avoidant attachment style. We do not believe that our needs will get met by others, so we become overly independent and distrustful. There is a desire to detach and keep people at arm's length so that they can't let us down. 
And then there's a, another type, a fourth type, when caregivers are frightening or dangerous, an attachment style can develop that we call disorganized. It's kind of a blend of anxious and avoidant where someone deeply craves closeness but feels repelled by it at the same time. There's often an increased tolerance for risk or violence. Now, attachment styles, I'm, I feel like sometimes in this podcast I say things and to me they're, they're things I kind of know, so I say them and breeze through. And yet, when I'm listening to other people's podcasts, I always appreciate when you say things like this that there's a moment to maybe digest what you just heard and think about that and think about where you might fall into those things, where you recognized yourself. And so I'm trying to do a better job of allowing those moments within the podcast. And if you have questions about any of these things, again, please feel free to reach out. So attachment styles start with our caregivers, but they are also influenced by other people in our lives. And then here's where it gets really interesting. Have you ever heard the saying, the way we do one thing is the way we do everything? Our attachment style kind of applies, not kind of, our attachment style applies to this idea of the way we do one thing is the way we do everything because our attachment style also applies to ourselves. We have an, an attachment style with ourselves as well. So when we have an anxious attachment in relationships, we also tend to have an anxious attachment style with ourselves. We want control. So we become strict with our diet and our exercise plans and then angry or frustrated with ourselves when we fall off the wagon, in quotes, because we aren't being the thing we need in order to feel safe. I'm going to say that again. So if we have an anxious attachment style in relationships, we tend to have those same anxious behaviors with ourselves as well. We seek the control so that we can feel safe, right? We have these strict diet and exercise plans. Then we get angry and frustrated with ourselves when we can't stick to it because it's unrealistic. But then we are angry and upset with ourselves because we are not being the thing we know we need ourselves to be so that we can feel safe. That one's a little, and I paused purposely again because I feel like when you think about these things, there can be a huge penny drop moment of like, oh my goodness, I'm putting so much pressure on myself to be and do these things that I need myself to be in order to feel safe and then and then I can't be it. I'm, it's too unrealistic and I can't be it, but, but I'm creating this unsafety within myself. And, and so when that happens and I feel unsafe, what do I do? I tend to then, like a boa constrictor, try to get even more strict, even more control. Now what about an avoidant attachment style? With an avoidant attachment style, we want to disconnect. So we might find ourselves mindlessly binge eating, choosing TV over exercise, and maybe having dark, aggressive thoughts or guilt because we feel like we can't trust ourselves. Again, we're feeling like we cannot trust ourselves to be the thing we need to be in order to feel safe. With a disorganized attachment style, we don't know what we want. 
So we might jump from one fitness or diet plan to another and be more willing to try much more fringe, extreme diets or fitness plans. Now, the good news is that having awareness is always the first step. And from there, you can change things. The way you interact within relationships can change once you understand your attachment style. The way you relate to yourself can also change. And that just by itself might lead to changes in how you approach getting your fitness and nutrition needs met. Just by changing the relationship with yourself, the fitness and nutrition needs, they might get met just organically. So when I said before that I have an, an anxious attachment as a default when I'm in a relationship, yeah, that's, that's my default. I also tend to be very avoidant, especially when I'm not in a relationship. So it's hard for me to start relationships. And then once I do, I feel anxious. Does that mean that's how I have to be? No. But I can have awareness of what my default style is, and then I can notice the behaviors that are coming alongside that. I can notice when those behaviors happen and make a choice to work on building secure attachment behaviors and tools, things like setting boundaries. So how do you go about changing these things? Well, that is a huge topic, but I believe the most important steps are to change the stories that you have written about yourself and the world and to focus on your deeper needs. Because, remember in the beginning where I said that in order to learn to self-soothe, we need someone else to soothe us first? Like as, as infants, as babies, we need to learn that from others have that done for us, and then we can learn to do it for ourselves. One of the best ways to develop a different attachment style is to be in a relationship with someone who already has a secure attachment style. That is healthy in terms of it teaches us, like somebody else is showing us the healthy attachment tools and mannerisms and behaviors and that allows it to be easier for us. However, that's not always possible, right? We might not be in a relationship. We might not have people in our world that are available as secure attachment style people. And so we can't, while that's a great thing for it to happen for us, we can't be dependent on that as the only solution. So what can we do for ourselves? We have to look at our own needs and what we can do for ourselves. Change the stories we've written about ourselves and the world. Focus on our deeper needs. Changing the story can be done through thought work, things like CBT. I have an episode on automatic negative thoughts that might be a good starting place. It's a very basic introduction to CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy literally helps you change the story in your head. Um, it might also be a big benefit if that's available to you to talk things through with a therapist, especially if there is trauma in your background, trauma which may have led to a disorganized attachment style. Now, by the way, um, Disorganized attachment styles are not always acknowledged. They're sometimes labeled as these rare things. 
secure, anxious, avoidant are the, the, the easily recognized and, and talked about ones, but disorganized attachment style is a thing. And if, if that is in there, then all of them, you can absolutely benefit from talking to a therapist. A do at home action step is just to notice when things are not going the way you want and then ask yourself, what do I need right now? Do I need comfort, excitement, acceptance, rest, love, time? Start tuning into your own needs and then you can start building tools and skills to get those needs met. Now I have an episode on emotions, it's called an emotion story, and that might be helpful for this as well. If you want to explore attachment styles as they relate to your fitness lifestyle, you also might want to check out my Fierce as Fuck three-month fitness redesign journey that will help you reconnect with your body and build a new, safer, trusting relationship with it so that you can finally feel blissful in your skin and have a movement plan that works for you and your history and that makes you happy because you can love your body and your life at the same fucking time. So my three-month program, we take a lot of different types of relationship tools and models and look at how we can apply them to ourselves and our fitness life. So if any of that has sort of hit home and made you think, oh my goodness, yes, so I see how my attachment style then makes me relate to myself and then how I then interact with food and movement. If that was sounding hmm, interesting, definitely check out my three-month program. Definitely hit that like, follow, share, maybe leave a review. In terms of breakups, it absolutely will take time to get there. But that's okay. Because as of right now, you're still on. Keep riding.